Open your Bible with me now, if you will, if you have a Bible, to the book of Ecclesiastes, right in the roughly middle of your Bible. If you do not have a Bible, we provide them. They're underneath some of the chairs. Turn to page 662 Bibles that are located there. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'd like to read a few verses from that chapter and then skip over to chapter 8 and a couple of verses there. We are in a summer study of the book of Ecclesiastes that I have called The Preacher Goes to the Movies. The preacher is not me. The preacher is the author of much of the book of Ecclesiastes. We are moving through the book and noticing that this man who in Hebrew is called Koheleth is something of a confused wise man. See, there were such people back in the day of Israel. They were, they were respected and known as sages or wise people, but not necessarily all of them reflected a biblical worldview. And that's true of this man, Koheleth, or the preacher, or the teacher. Um, Ecclesiastes is the journal of his failed attempt to find meaning in life. You see, the problem was he was looking for meaning and significance in life in a lot of wrong places. Instead of looking for it by faith in a loving God, the writer of Ecclesiastes was looking for it under the sun. That is, in this world. He was basing his outlook on life on strictly what he could see instead of looking to the transcendent, loving, gracious God and finding significance in a relationship with him. So we are today in Ecclesiastes 7. Let me point you to verses 15 through 18, and then I'll take you somewhere else. Look at chapter 7, verse 15. Hear the word of God. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. All right, hold your place there. Flip over to chapter 8. And look at verses 14 and 15. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him and his work all the days of, his, of the life God has given him under the sun. This is God's word. Don, not his real name, was a sales rep. A very successful one, too. Don was married with a couple of kids. He was at the top of his company in sales. When one Monday morning he walked into work and his boss told him he was being laid off. Don wondered, why me? I'm one of the best you've got. Well, the company had lost too much money. Don had to go. 
And so in his early 40s, Don was out looking for a job when jobs are pretty hard to find. Linda, also not her real name, thought she was happily married to Ben until she found out that Ben had a secret online girlfriend out on the West Coast. She found some emails on the home computer where Ben had been pledging his love to this other woman and promising that one day he would leave Linda and hook up with her. Sam. Sam is 10 years old. He loves baseball. He joined a little league team and plays in the outfield, but coach only plays him in the game when the team is way ahead. Now Sam says, I'm not very good. So he sits on the bench a lot. He watches the game and waits. But Sam has already made up his mind that next year he's not going to play. Jenny. Jenny had just graduated from high school. She had dreams of rushing a sorority in the fall. But her dreams were dashed one late summer night by a drunk driver. He slammed into her side of the car and sped away. Now Jenny's legs were crushed in the wreckage, and she is in rehab, trying to get used to prosthetic legs. To these more or less fictional characters and to many others, life often seems unfair. Someone suggested this morning when they saw my sermon title that I should change it. Not when life seems unfair, but life seems unfair. And I thought, you know, you're right about that. I'm sure most of you could tell a story about a time when you were shafted when you were cheated, judged, criticized, labeled, abandoned. I could tell you some stories, because I've been there too. The preacher of Ecclesiastes felt that way also. Did you hear what he said? In chapter 8, verse 14, did you hear it? He said, there is something meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous people who get what the wicked deserve. Wicked people who get what the righteous deserve. What he's talking about is that often in life, people whom we would think are good people get the raw end of the deal and bad people get rewarded. He said it earlier too in chapter 7 verse 15. Were you listening? He said, in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Haven't you felt it? The apparent unfairness of life? Perhaps there's somebody at your workplace or in your school who seems to have it all together. She is the very epitome of beauty and success. He's the very definition of coolness. And yet, they could care less about God or God's law. 
It's not supposed to be that way, we say. See, somewhere down in our heart of hearts, most of us have the idea that we're supposed to get what we deserve. It's kind of like this chart. We want to believe that A always leads to B. That is, if I do what's right, if I behave myself, if I obey God, He'll bless me. People who disobey God, who ignore God, who live as if God doesn't exist, why, God's not going to bless them, they'll suffer. Why, isn't even that what TV preachers tell us? Live right and you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity? Well, the reality that I'm sure most of you have already discovered a long time ago is that A is often followed not by B, but by X. If I do right, if I behave, if I believe God, if I come to church, if I'm a good Christian, instead of getting what I thought I would get, I get X. You fill in the blank with X. It can be good, but it can be awful bad. I can lose my job if I'm a Christian. I can get cancer if I'm a Christian. I can have a rocky marriage. I can have bad kids. That's the way it happens sometimes. And when it happens, we get confused. We get disillusioned. We get cynical. We get angry. As this summer I am taking you each week through a movie clip, I've chosen today the movie Amadeus. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen that movie. It won Oscar for Best Picture back in 1984. It's the story of the great composer Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, as told through the eyes of Antonio Salieri. Well, Salieri is played by F. Murray Abraham, who also won an Oscar that year for Best Actor. Uh, Mozart is played by a guy named Tom Hulse. Salieri, in this movie, is the court composer for Emperor Joseph II. And Salieri becomes insanely jealous of Mozart because Mozart now is the rising star of the music world. But Salieri figures Mo- Mozart doesn't deserve fame. He doesn't deserve all this wonderful uh, applause and notice. No, because Mozart is flamboyant. Mozart is immoral. Mozart is arrogant. Salieri, on the other hand, when he looks at himself, prides himself in being good, in being moral, in being humble, in being talented. And he thinks he should be getting the applause, not Mozart. Well, I want to show you a scene. It'll take about three minutes, and let me set it up for you. In this scene, uh, Salieri first meets Mozart, and Emperor Joseph II presents to Mozart a song that Salieri has written just for him. Mozart has heard it once as he walked in the room. Now you'll see what happens next. Oh, this is yours. Keep it, Majesty, if you want. It's already here in my head. What? On one hearing only? I think so, sire. Yes. Show us.
just the same, isn't it? That doesn't really work, does it? Did you try? Shouldn't it be a bit more? Or this? This? Yes. in my body and then deny me the talent you see for Salieri A good behavior hard work looking humble led not to B but to X He saw life as very, very unfair. And so he would agree 100% with the cynical observation of the preacher. Meaningless, meaningless. Righteous men getting what the wicked deserve. Wicked men getting what the righteous deserve. Life is unfair. So what do you do about the unfairnesses of life? How do you live in light of them? Well, let me tell you what not to do first, and then we will look at what to do. What not to do, don't follow the preacher's advice. No, he says to do two things when you feel that life is unfair. The first thing the preacher says to do, remember I said that he is a confused wise man. He's not looking at life through the lens of a biblical worldview. He's not looking at unfairnesses through the eyes of one who is properly related to a God of love and of might and of sovereignty. No, he's looking at life under the sun. So he says the first thing you should do if you're dealing with unfairness is lower your standards. Lower your standards. Did you see that over in chapter 7, verse 16? In that verse, he says, Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise, Why destroy yourself? He's saying don't try to be too righteous. Don't try to be too wise. Because if you do, you're setting yourself up for nothing but disappointment. And and since it doesn't pay to be righteous, 
says the preacher. Why strive to be good? Why ruin your life? Settle for average. And then you'll be okay. And shockingly, look at what he says in the next verse, verse 17 of chapter 7. He says, do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? You know, he seems to be saying a little wickedness is good for you. Just don't be over wicked. And look at verse 18. Here's the kicker. In verse 18, he says, it's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. What's he saying? He's saying be balanced. Be neither over-righteous nor over-wicked. Straddle the fence. Aim for a middle-of-the-road approach to life. Live with a foot in each world because, he says in verse 18, the man who fears God will avoid all extremes. By all means, don't go to extreme righteousness. And don't go to extreme wickedness either. The preacher is advocating compromise. See, since righteousness doesn't really work in the real world, according to him, lower your standards and you won't be disappointed when bad things happen. Is that good advice? I hope you're saying no, bad advice. The second thing that the preacher advises us to do in light of the unfairness of life is to seek pleasure. Not only lower your standards, but seek pleasure. Chapter 8, verse 15. In that verse he says, So I commend the enjoyment of life, because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. See, since no one gets what he deserves, resign yourself to eating and drinking and having what pleasure you can find. Folks, this is the voice of desperation, not of hope. It's the voice of one who is resigned to his fate. Since righteous people get the raw end of the deal and wicked people get rewarded, therefore he's saying, anesthetize yourself against the pain. Have another round. Go ahead, zone out in front of the internet for another couple hours. Indulge your addiction. Go ahead, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the philosophy reflected there in verse 15 of chapter 8. The preacher's advice is diametrically opposed to the teaching of Scripture. He is a confused sage. He's not looking at life right. He's off base here. He's not looking through a biblical worldview, as I've said already. And so... What we must do until we get to the final chapter of Ecclesiastes where the narrator adjusts and corrects the faulty theology of this man, what we must do is make sure we know the rest of Scripture. Because what the Bible says and what God says to do when life seems unfair is this. Determine that you will live with integrity and grace even in the midst of your trying circumstances. Determine that you'll live with integrity and live with grace even in the midst of difficulty. How do you do that? That sounds awfully easy to say, right? How do you do do that when life's unfair? How do you do that when you've lost your job? How do you do that when things are not good at home? Let me give you a a a five-point application. And we're going to spell the word smart. So each 
line that I'm going to give you begins with one letter in the word smart to help you remember it a little bit. First, the letter S, share. Share your situation with others who love you. That's what you must begin with. Share your situation, your unfairness, your trial, your sorrow, your grief. Share it with somebody else who loves you. As I read through Ecclesiastes, you know what strikes me? This man is so alone. His favorite word is the word I. Read through the book sometime, just at one sitting, and you'll see I, I, I. I wonder if he had any friends. You might remember we learned a few weeks ago from Ecclesiastes 4 that two are better than one. And so let somebody else, or better yet, a small group of somebody else's share your burden with you. I have a men's group. Some of you are in that group. We meet on Fridays for lunch. And there are people in our men's group who are going through a situation that looks very, very unfair. And it's a safe place where those guys can tell us like it is. Do you have a group like that? Begin dealing with unfairness by sharing your burden with others in the body of Christ. Second is the letter M. Move forward constructively. If you are in an unfair situation, if you're the victim of injustice, move forward constructively. What do I mean by that? I mean to take whatever steps you can to improve your situation. Don't accept the philosophy of resignation that the preacher is adopting here. If you need to have a conversation with somebody who is treating you unfairly, have that conversation. Stop putting it off. If you can file a complaint with your company, then file it. If you need the help of a mediator, seek one out. If you don't like your job, pray about it and possibly seek another one. If you don't, if, if the injustices around you that you observe bother you, then do something about it. Move forward constructively because there's nothing virtuous about being passive if there are steps available to you. Where do I get that in the Bible? Well, there's a lot of Bible verses that teach this, but let me show you one of them. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Take a look at it. It's up on the screen. The Apostle Paul is talking about various situations in life. And one of them is slavery. We would say today slavery is a very unfair situation. Back in the day of Paul, however, is very different from what we think. Nevertheless, slavery was not an ideal way of life. Never was, never will be. And so here's what Paul says to people who are in slavery. He says, each one should remain in the situation in which he was in, which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Now, so far, it sounds like Paul is kind of advocating passivity. But look at the next phrase. If you can gain your freedom, do so. See, isn't that balanced teaching? If you can gain your freedom, do it. And so we would say, applying it to your unfair situation, if you can gain your freedom from that unfair situation, do it. Move forward constructively. God sometimes provides lawful ways for us to, un to address an unfair situation. So we should take advantage of them when they come our way. Thirdly, the letter A. A stands for avoid getting even. Avoid getting even, instead bless people. In Romans chapter 12, there's some really important teaching about the tendency we have when we are 
angry, when we're in uh, an unfair situation, our tendency is to try to get even. But look at what Paul writes in Romans 12. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then he concludes, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, avoid getting even. Instead, seek to be a blessing even to the very people that you feel are being are treating you unjustly. See what God can do to make you a blessing even to them. Going back to the movie Amadeus, uh, Salieri, many of you have seen this movie and you know what happens. Salieri makes it his mission in life to ruin Mozart, to bring him down. At one point, Salieri, and this is probably the most poignant moment in the, in the film, Salieri prays to God and he prays this prayer and he says, from now on, we are enemies, you and I. Because you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy and give me for reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation. Because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you, says Salieri. I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth as far as I am able. I will ruin your incarnation. And of course, he's talking about Mozart. Friend, it will not help you. It will not help you to take your pain out on somebody else. It will only make it worse for both you and her or him. Instead, you're called and I'm called to follow the example of Christ. Who were told in 1 Peter 2, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do? He bore our sins on his own body on the tree. He absorbed in himself the pain of even others' sins. So avoid getting even. Instead, seek to be a blessing. The letter R stands for remember. Remember something. Remember that it is a fallen world. Remember it's a fallen world. You know, much of our pain in life is caused by utopian expectations, especially here in the prosperous West. We expect to be fairly treated by other people. We expect the economy to always be booming. We expect America to win all the gold medals. We expect to always be healthy. We expect promotions and obedient children and nice parents and clean streets and honest politicians. But that ignores the fact that this world is broken. It's broken. I have a 1995 Nissan Quest minivan. 218,000 miles on this thing. And it still runs pretty well. But there are lots of annoying broken things all around it. The rear hatch door does not lock when I push lock on the driver door. The panel on the inside sliding door is always falling off. And you have to reach through a window and bang it back in before you can open the sliding door. The windshield wiper on the back window makes this awful screeching sound. It's just broken. And the same thing is true of this world. When Adam and Eve fell into, into sin, this world also came under a curse. 
Every human being, even nature itself, came under a curse. So things don't work like they did before the fall. There are weeds and briars and thorns and mosquitoes and love bugs and hot Florida summers. There are violence and hate and war and discrimination and poverty and unfair judges and death and all sorts of other evils. That is our world. Now, we as Christians are called to move into that world and reclaim it for Jesus Christ and bring in the kingdom of righteousness and of peace. But friends, we will always have more work to do than we'll ever be able to accomplish because this world is fallen. We must remember that. Now, look, don't lower your standards, but adjust your expectations. And then finally is the letter T. T stands for trust. Trust God to fix the brokenness in His way and in His time. A lot of us are going to have to do in life a lot of waiting for that time to arrive. A lot of us here at UPC will walk through many, many tears to get home. Trust God to fix the brokenness. You know, if there's any being in the universe who knows what unfair is, it's God. Jesus did nothing but love people. He lived a perfect life. The people he came to save arrested him and nailed him to a cross. If there was ever a righteous person who got what the wicked deserve, it was Jesus Christ. And by the way, remember the chart I showed earlier? A, always leading to B, and I said, and so did the preacher, that when you're righteous, you ought to get what righteous people deserve. Well, by the way, the Bible says there is no one righteous. Not even one. Even the preacher himself knew that in chapter 7, verse 20. I didn't read that verse, but he says, there's not a righteous man on earth who does what's right and never sins. So he knew it. He knew it deep down. Talk about being fair. You don't want fair. If fair means getting what we deserve, then there's not a human being in this world who would not get punished both now and forever because we are wicked by nature when we are born into this world. So on the cross... The righteous one, Jesus, got what we deserved. The wrath of God. So that we, who are wicked, could get what he deserved. Eternal life. Eternal love. If Jesus loved you that much, he will bring you home safely. There will be a lot of suffering this side of that day, but trust Him. He is making all things new, and one day you will experience the newness. Just hold on and keep going. Trust God. Trust in Jesus. He endured the ultimate unfairness, and He will be with you in yours. 
You know, there is a family that know what's that knows what an unfair life feels like. Some of you know this story. It has to do with Stephen Curtis Chapman. Stephen Curtis Chapman is a pretty famous Christian musician. He had six children, three biologically and three by adoption. And I say he had six because on May 21st of this year, their youngest child, Maria, age five, was killed when one of her brothers accidentally ran over her in the family SUV just a few months ago. Stephen said in a recent interview, she was our laughter. On the day of the funeral, Stephen and his wife went into Maria's bedroom. And they found on her desk a drawing that she had been working on before she died. It was a drawing of a flower with six petals, apparently one petal for each family member. And only one of the petals was colored in. Stephen and his wife Mary Beth took that as a message from God that of all of the six family members, it was she, Maria, who really knew joy right now. But next to the picture of the flower was a mysterious word. It was just the three-letter word, see. See. Stephen and his family believed that that was God's way of asking them to see Jesus in the heartache of unfairness. Today, I ask you, To see Jesus. Through the pain of your trial, see Him. Through the frustrations of life in a fallen world, see Him. He has been there. He knows. He cares. And He's going to make it new. He's going to make it better. Trust Him. Let's pray. Father, help us not to lower our ethical standards or drown our pain and pleasure to deal with our hurt. Instead, help us to live in authentic community with others. Help us to take constructive steps to improve our lot in life. Help us to follow Jesus' example of grace under fire. Help us to have realistic expectations. Help us to trust that behind a frowning providence you always hide a smiling face. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.